So one of the things we're trying to do is uh, we not only have a time of worship, but we're also having a time of training. And the first three of these training times are to help people understand what we're doing. Uh, the first week we talked about our mission and vision for the church plant. This week we're going to talk about our pre-commitments and values. I'll explain what that means. And then next week we're going to talk about uh, people who want to be a part of the launch team. What are the, What's the commitment? What's that going to look like for us? So that's the first three weeks. And then we'll sort of get into things like um, spiritual gifting, uh, helping you think about where you would fit, different opportunities that we have to serve in the church going forward. And we'll start to do more of that in November. So, um, and by the way, we'll be right back here again next week. Same time, same channel. Thank you for being uh, flexible last week. We always want to, we realize with COVID, we're going to have these bumps along the way. So, um, let me begin by praying for us again and asking God to bless us as we think about this stuff. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you uh, that you teach us in your word that uh, to do your will is to trust in the one whom you have sent. And so we pray uh, right now, even as we think about church planting, uh, that you would help us to rest in Jesus, to relax in him. And that you would bless us as we think about what it means to be a team of people that start a church. We really need your help. We really need your mercy. So please give that. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> so two things I want to talk to you about today um, in terms of what uh, the church plant is like. All right. So last week we talked, about, we talked a good bit about what the church plant does and what it is. This week we're going to talk about what it's like. Uh, one of the things I asked Caitlin was, like, what do you think are some of the questions that people have about church planting? And she said, people, uh, people want to know what kind of people go to Christ the King. What is this thing like? What, what are these people like? Right? And so there's two ways I want to get at that with you uh, when we talk about what we, what we are as a church. One are what I'm going to call pre-commitments. And these are things that are sort of running in the background of our church. Maybe you don't even realize, but they're running in the background. Um, you know, it's like an operating system on a computer or a phone. You know, the, uh, your phone just works or your, your computer just works, whether you're on the Internet or you're word processing or whatever you're doing on it. You, you turn it on, it comes on, and it kind of works. But there's all these things happening in the background of the computer that you don't even realize that are making your ability to do those things happen. All right? And you, you, you don't under, always understand them, but they're happening back there. It can be kind of like DNA in us as people. Like they're just things that are true of me uh, that my DNA have caused that run in the background. You know, I'm a guy. Um, those sort of things that kind of come out. But I, I don't really think about them. They're sort of unseen. They're just happening uh, in, the, in the shadows, so to speak. And I'm going to give you three of Christ the King's what I call pre-commitments. These are things that are going on in the background that you may not realize that we probably don't talk about a whole lot. They're not really seen, but they're true of us. Okay. The first is a Reformed interpretation of Scripture and Reformed theology. All right. Now, by that, we just mean that uh, the, 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 uh, the Reformation produced uh, a, a set of ways of thinking about the Scriptures particularly that they were the uh, inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God um, that we focus on when we think about the scriptures. There are lots of views of the scriptures. We can talk about this at another time. 
But our view is, is pretty conservative when we think about what the Bible means. We believe it is our only rule of faith and practice. In other words, we look to the Bible to know how to live our lives. We look to the Bible to know how to operate the church. We look to the Bible to know what God is calling us to do as his people. All right? So the scriptures are sort of our, uh, our, 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 our really the most important thing in terms of what we do. I can remember back a long time ago. I was a campus minister for a, a ministry called RUF, uh, which is our denomination's campus ministry. And I was a campus minister at Mercer University down in Macon. And I can remember having a conversation after being there about three years with a guy from a local church who had some students from Mercer attending his church. And he asked me, he said, so you're a campus minister, what ministry? I said, RUF. And he goes, oh, you guys are the ones that are really serious about the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> saying that to me. And I remember being so flattered when he said that because I'm like, that's exactly what I want people to say. The Bible really matters to us in terms of what we do, right? The same thing's true for Christ the King. Running in the background is this idea that the scriptures are very important to us and we're going to be driven by them in terms of the way we operate. Um, a second idea that, that comes out of the, the a reformed interpretation of theology are the ideas of God's sovereignty, which is the God is the king of all things, that he is the ruler who has all power over all things. There's a reason that our church is named Christ the King. It's because we believe that Jesus is the king over all and that what is best for us as his people is to submit to his rule. That that is truly the... When Jesus preached in the New Testament, he, he preached the good news of the kingdom. That he is the king over all, and which is a reorientation of the world to, to living under his reign and rule. And so that's an important part of the way we think about ourselves in the church. A uh, second is depravity. You may not have ever heard that word. That, depravity just means that we are sinful, and we are more sinful than we think we are. Um, that we are utterly without the ability to make ourselves right with God or to do good outside of God's help. Um, and so depravity is an important part of what we believe. And so that's why we have things like confessions of sin, like we did today, because we believe we need to tell God what's going on inside of us. We need to make known to him over and over again our understanding of our own depravity and our need for him. And then the last is grace, which is you know sort of the understanding that God is sovereign and he rules over all things. He has these demands that he's placed on us to keep his law, and we don't do it. We sin. We're utterly, just totally depraved. And so... What do we do? Well, what do we do? We cast ourselves upon him and we say, help us, show us mercy. And we believe the way that God has done that is through the work of his son, that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God has, by his work and his work alone, saved us from condemnation, from death, and uh, has given us a new life. And so all those things are pretty important in terms of the way we think about talking to each other, worshiping on Sundays, uh, having groups that meet outside of uh, church to talk about the gospel, that gospel idea that God has all power, that he has demanded from us righteousness, that we have utterly failed to give to do that, and that it is only by the work of his son that we're made right with God again, kind of undergird everything that we do. And the last little bit here uh, in terms of reformed, understanding a reformed view is what, this idea that God is at work. We see all throughout the scriptures that God is doing things, that he's providing this idea of providence, that he's t 
taking care of us, that he's doing things in the world, that he is at work in people's lives and hearts, even when we don't think he is. Okay? And so you'll probably hear me say to you many times, God is at work. We may not feel like he's at work, but God is at work. Okay? Uh, there aren't as many people here as there were last week because there are a lot of people that are out of town and traveling and some people are sick. God is at work <laughs> with who's here. If there were a thousand people here later on in the life of this church, God is going to be at work. And our, our hope is not in what we're doing, but in what he's doing. So we're going to keep revisiting that in terms of those things. That's operating in the background. Uh, two more things that are operating in the background. Another is that we're Presbyterian. Okay, now, for many of you, you may not even know what that means. Um, there are basically three views of how the church governs itself. Uh, one is what we call hierarchical form of church government. The most popular of those are the Catholic Church, which has the Pope at the top, and then the bishops, and so on and so forth. They're ruled sort of from the top down. Another, uh, another uh, a Protestant version of that is the Anglican Church. That, they're a hierarchical form of church government. A, a second way that the church government itself is uh, what is called congregational, which is that everybody sort of has a vote, and they can kind of decide as one big group this is where the idea of democracy comes from, right? From congregational form of church government. The most popular churches that do this are the Baptist churches. You know, they all kind of self-govern in that way. And then the third form is our form, which is Presbyterianism. And that is not that one person is the one making the decisions and not that everybody makes the decisions, but that the people elect a group of people to lead the church or to be the elders in the church. A plurality of elders make decisions in our church. And so that's what we really mean when we say we're Presbyterian in that sense, is that we follow that form of government. There are other pieces to it that we can talk about at another time. One that I wanted to mention to you is that Presbyterians are also connectional. In other words, like um, what we're doing here, you may not know this, but there are probably seven other churches that are supporting what we're doing here. Seven other PCA churches, okay? They're all vested in what we are doing for the kingdom. They're connected to us. Um, and some of them, you know, we're meeting in one of you know, their gyms right now, right, for free. They're letting us meet here. So that's an example of how we're connected. And uh, usually three to four times a year, uh, we have a, a geographical group called the Presbytery that meets together, that kind of talks about things that are going on in our denomination and particularly in our local area. Um, and I can tell you a bit more about that as, we, as time goes on, but that we are connected together with those churches is important. Um, we also have um, what we call standards, which are um, uh, documents that kind of summarize what we believe about theology in the church. They're called, they're called the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Larger and Shorter Catechisms. And uh, when people become ministers in the PCA or elders in the PCA, they have to subscribe to those standards. They have to say, we believe that this is the best interpretation of, uh, of theology and we're going to assent to them as ministers. So there's a sense in which we have a shared theology in the church that it's being taught from that's helpful too. Uh, we're kind of, our doctrine and practice are held together by these standards. Um, in other words, individual churches don't believe different things in the PCA. We're tied together under one thing. That's operating in the background. Um, last bit is that we believe in a contextualized approach to ministry. And basically what I mean by that is this, is that the way we apply the gospel in Brazelton is different than the way we apply the gospel in Baltimore. 
they're different places with different kinds of people, with different experiences. And so when we think about how we're going to communicate the gospel, there's some things that are always true. God is in control of all things and has a standard of righteousness. Uh, we failed to keep that standard of righteousness and we need Jesus, right? But how we think about communicating that to people in various contexts is really important. We have to think about what people deal with here, what they're like here. Some of the examples of that are demographics, which is, you know, the types of people that live in this particular area. You know, for, I'll give you a good example. Um, ministering to people, I have a friend who's planting a church in Duluth, okay? And his planting experience is very different than ours because Duluth is such a globalized area. They have so many different ethnic groups in, near where he lives that he has to take that in consideration whenever he starts the church. And here, we don't have that as much. It's just different. Uh, starting a church in a rural area is very different than starting one in the middle of Atlanta, for example. You have to think about how to do them in different ways. And we also have to think about individuals. You know, like the way I talk, uh, the, the way I talk to some of you about what's going on in your life would be different than the way I would talk to Caitlin, my wife, about that, or to my kids about those things. Uh, we have to think about individuals, what they've done in their life, how they're living their lives, where they are in the faith. Are they moving toward Jesus? Are they moving away from Jesus? You know, in terms of how we minister the gospel to them. So all that to say is, is that the way we think about talking about the gospel to people is very important, and we realize that as a church, and we're trying to be thoughtful about that in terms of how we do things here. Um, last bit there is just that we want to be an inclusive and hospitable church, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute when we talk about our values. So these are the things that are sort of running in the background. You may not always see them, but they're happening, and I feel like it's uh, my duty as the minister to tell you these things are happening in the background. I'd be glad to answer any questions you have about them later. Um, the second thing are our values. And this really gets at, like, if you come here and you hang around people here long, these are sort of things that we all share in terms of what matter to us, that we love, okay? You're going to see these, in other words. They drive us. They're the things that we deeply love. Um, and we summarize these with three words, okay? And this is also sort of our, our vision for the church, is to create a community of disciples that will see rest, rejoicing, and reconciliation come to Brasselton. Those three things. Okay, so rejoicing. Let me tell you what that means. Um, rejoicing just means that Christ the King values enjoyment of Jesus and his people. Like, we, we genuinely enjoy each other. <laughs> the church is not a, a task or a duty that, like, we like being with each other. We feel like that is an important thing in terms of what we're doing. Philippians 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It is a command of God for us to enjoy each other and enjoy principally Jesus. So that means that we're going to love talking about Jesus. We're going to love uh, worshiping Jesus. We're going to love enjoying and being around each other. We're going to like parties and doing things in our houses and hanging out with each other. And COVID has put a dampening on this part of our, one of the things that we really value but, like, even when we've tried to do it, it's obvious that everybody loves being with each other. Like, this is part of what it means to be Christ the King, is that we have a, a substantial joy for Jesus and for what we do together. Second thing, rest. <clears throat> I talked about this a little bit last week, but Christ the King values resting or abiding in Jesus as a way of life. What I don't mean is that we're lazy. <laughs> That's not what I mean. 
Okay, there's a difference between resting in Jesus and just being lazy. All right, um, in John chapter six, Jesus is with his disciples, and he the disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, what must we do to do the will of God? What do we need to do to do what you want? Right, and Jesus says to them, um, You must trust in the one whom I have sent. That's the will of God. That you trust in the one whom I sent. And you know what? The word trust can be translated relax. Here's what you do to do God's will. You relax in the one whom he has sent. You rest in Jesus. And so a real part of what we're trying to accomplish here is to get people to slow down, to think about abiding in their life as not an option. But as where true life is, what we talked about in the sermon today, and abiding in Jesus. Like that's really the, the, we believe that as people put down their roots in Jesus, that they will bear fruit in their life. That's a central value here. We value abiding, and we want to make that possible. So what that means for us is that we're going to talk a lot about being near Jesus. We're going to try to keep each other near Jesus, that we're going to hold each other to that. We're going to create groups and avenues and worship services that try to do that, that try to hold you near him, um, <clears throat> that, um, that we're going to regularly try to make this part of what it means to be together, is to abide deeply. Third, third piece, third value is reconciliation. Um, and I added conciliation. I'm going to explain why in a minute. Second Corinthians 5 says that the church's job is to, um, is to have this ministry of reconciliation in the world. Now, principally, what it means is that we are to persuade people as a church to be reconciled to God, that they are, they are at war with him, at enmity with God. And so we want to convince people that being made right with God is what is best for them, is what it means to be a human, and it is their hope, right? <clears throat> but consequently, it also means that we're trying to persuade people to reconcile with each other, too, that we want... Um, to be a community that is reconciled with each other. <clears throat> and this means that we're going to be committed to things like inviting new people to be with us all the time or um, celebrating uh, our war with God being broken together, um, confessing our sins, uh, repenting and reconciling with each other, developing a culture where we know how to have conflict with each other that's healthy. Right? Not where we're under the surface mad with each other all the time. But that we're honest about who we are and what we and what we need in terms of being right with one another. That we do ministry, that we're we're a community of people who see each other as ministers, and that we include new people and others in what we're doing, that we affirm people. And by affirming, I mean we commend what's commendable in them, right? And so This is a strong value that we are trying to reconcile people. Now, the reason I put conciliation, this is interesting too, is um, reconciliation is when two parties were once together, but then they were broken apart, and we're trying to broker them, reconciling, reconciling, being brought back together. But I think there are some senses in which, and, and this is especially true with us in God, right? That's the, that's the Bible narrative, that we were once God's people and that we fell into sin and were separated from him and Jesus has brought us back together, reconciled us with God. But there's a sense in which there's some people in our lives that we're just, we've never been right with. And so there's a conciliation that must happen where we must, we're bringing together people that were never together to begin with, 
that may be part of what we have to do as we think about our church and what that means in the future. Okay, so those are the things that we love, that we value, and you'll see that as we go forth here at the church. And I've told you about the things that are working in the background. Um, Are there any questions that you have about this? (coughs) Any questions? Anyone? Yeah, I, I mentioned some of those things with each one, like uh, with rejoicing, we're going to talk about Jesus, we're going to worship Jesus, we're going to enjoy each other, we're going to hang around with each other, party. Um, with rest, that we want to encourage each other to be near God, that we're going to foster abiding in our group. Um, with reconciliation, that we are going to gather new people, that we're going to care about our relationships with each other, that we're going to keep short accounts, that we're going to confess our sins. That's what I mean. Those are the things that we love. Yes, yes, that, re- that really matter to us in value. Yeah. Good question. Anybody else? Okay, well, uh, if you have questions later on, feel free to call me or contact me. My address is, uh, email address is on the back of the bulletin. You can always send me anything that you may have that you want to talk about then. Um, what I want to do for the next uh, five, ten minutes is to divide into groups of like three, four, five, be socially distanced. And there are three things I'd like to ask you to pray for here as we depart. Um, uh, one is that God would give us a strong and healthy culture. Um, one of the things that a lot of my friends in the church have noted to me is that uh, the pandemic has really brought out in churches that they're not healthy. Um, it's revealed unhealth in churches. Um, and so we want to start out, I, I think this is a way for us to ask God in the midst of a pandemic to make us healthy from the very beginning. Um, secondly, that God would bring rest, rec- reconciling and, re- and rejoicing to Brazelton. And then the last, that God would give us mercy to abide in him like we've talked about today in our service. So if you'll just break up for the next five or ten minutes, just take a, a very short amount of time and pray for each other, and then you can be dismissed. And I hope you all have a great day. Let me pray for us before we do that, okay? Uh, Father, thanks for letting us be together today. Uh, We know that today is supposed to be a day of resting in you. So I pray that you would, for the next five to ten minutes, help all of us to have our hearts just settle down and relax a bit and ask you for help uh, before we leave. Thank you for letting us be with each other today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you.